spiritual laws. And I'm not going to preach on that today because he's in the middle of that series. That's not what I want to do. Uh, but I do want to reference those spiritual laws as we get started today because the topic I'm going to talk about today is going to feed into the spiritual laws. It's going to, going to work with how they, those laws work in our lives or don't work in our lives. He's been preaching on the law of love, the law of life, the law of faith, which he's on right now when he left the last Sunday. That's what he was on. And then he's going to get to the law of sowing and reaping. You know, either side of any spiritual or natural law is going to work based on how we apply them. Laws in themselves are neutral. There's a neutrality with how laws work. Whether they're spiritual laws or natural laws, they work how they work. They're set up, and that's how they work. You know, we've heard, in, we've heard of course, in our teaching, we sow what we reap. Whatever we sow, we reap. That's a spiritual law. I also heard growing up, I heard it backwards, you reap what you sow, and it usually wasn't in the sense of something good. But nonetheless, it kind of applies. And pastors reference the law of gravity a few times, you know, how that works. We all understand that. You know, in an airplane example, he's used that multiple times. You know, gravity works. You can overcome gravity, but you've got to do something about it. The law of gravity is the law of gravity, and it works. If you're in an airplane, lift and thrust will overcome. It won't, it won't el eliminate. It'll overcome the law of gravity. You know, these things don't rest, spiritual or natural. You know, gravity didn't wake up, law of gravity didn't wake up this morning and talk to the law of inertia and say, you know, we've been working hard for a very long time. Why don't we both take an hour break and get back to work? I don't know where you'd be right now. So laws are neutral. They just work how we work around them is whether they're effective successfully or not in our lives. So for the, to kind of build where we're going here, have you ever asked why is something taking so long or not exactly on the course you planned? Why is it not panning out? And so I want to throw a question out as we build up what we're going to talk about today. Did we do the last thing the Lord told us to do? Kind of plain and simple like that. Back in November, uh, Matt preached a wonderful uh, sermon on obedience, the fun, fun topic of obedience. And I can see the enthusiasm just, it's like a wave going through the, through the auditorium here. But he preached a great, great sermon on obedience. And so I actually stole most of what he talked about. If you don't like it, go see him. If you do like it, just say I did a better job than he did. But uh, I took most of what he said and, and, uh, because it was so good. So let's kind of get the picture of the teaching of spiritual laws. Those four I laid out for you are kind of like 460, the highway out here, the main artery going east to west. What I'm going to talk about today is a side road, obedience. You know, all these side roads feeding into the highway make the highway work. Well, obedience in our lives makes these spiritual laws work. They're one ingredient to making them work. And so that's the picture of what we're going to teach today. Isaiah 1 and 19 and 20 says if we obey, we will eat plenty, plain and simple. If we don't obey or don't listen will be devoured. That's pretty stark, right? But it's a law. It's a principle. It works however it works. If we obey, that works for us. If we don't obey, it doesn't. It works against us. Throughout the Bible, every principle, concept, or law contains God's part or our part. So there's two, two parts to this equation. God is unfailing. Everybody agree with that? All right. He, will, he has and always will do his part. We agree with that? Is he the same today or yesterday, today, and forevermore? Yes. So the good news in this formula of supernatural success, which is God doing his part and us doing our part, he's the constant. That's good. So we got the answer as a constant. One part of the formula is a constant, and then that leaves us. 
And that's good if we do it right. It's a little different in marriage, right? So you, a good marriage equals a husband doing the right things and a wife doing the right things. There kind of two variables involved there, right? We have to work at it a little differently. But in this equation, God is constant. The answer we want is constant. So we have to do our part. You know, and he tells us what to do. So not only do we just have to do it, we know, we know what to do. We don't have to figure out what to do. And that's the beautiful thing about God. It's simple. He made it easy to understand. And all he did was say, be quick to obey. He didn't say, spend a lot of time trying to figure out what I want. Where do we want to go to eat? You know, that's the marriage example. Oh, I don't care. It doesn't matter. That's baloney. You know, no, God lays out exactly what we need to do. So we only have to work on doing and matching our part to his and our part's obedience. Everybody happy about that? If we're obedient, then the promises of God are a guarantee. All right, they're not a might happen. They're not a, well, let's wait and see. They're a guarantee. If we do what God says, and we know what that is, then his promises to us are a guarantee. And now it may not always feel like it or look like it, but it is the truth. We think about scriptures we've heard, give and it shall be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's a guarantee. Amen? If I obey, I will eat plenty. That's a guarantee. By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. If I apply the law of faith, that's a guarantee. Now, I know when I go through these, I, I wrote these down and went over them myself. And a little struggle here or there in the mind trying to put this together. Well, okay, I received healing by faith. My foot still hurts. Brother Doug's ankle still hurts. Still a guarantee. We've got to walk out the manifestation of that. But it's no compromise in what the end result will be. His ankle's going to be well. Praise the Lord. It's a guarantee. Confession is made unto salvation. At the root of every believer's life, the most important thing to get, get things started and create the right eternity for ourselves is confession that Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. People are teaching today. It's been taught for a while, but you could really see it out there today. Well, you really don't have to confess. You just have to believe, and you have to feel good about it. Now, listen, I'm not making that up. People have been talking about that. That's not what the Word says. Obedience to the Word is how you get saved. And it's simple. What do you do? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And then you shall be saved. Think about the move of the Holy Spirit. And this is a Brother Doug thing. You know, I've, I've, we've heard him share this in when he's taught, but also personally. How it's not grieving, but it's longing. He remembers the days when the Holy Spirit would move for weeks. And you couldn't move. And you just, you were saturated with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he'll often say, why is it different? Why is that not happening today? And then his experience and his, the anointing on his life, he'll, he'll go to the hunger for it, the desire for it. You know, the book of Joshua says, meditate in the law day and night. How often do we do that anymore? You know, we want to move a God, but how, how much and how willing are we? If we obey, if we meditate in it, stay in it, saturate in it, it's a guarantee that the Holy Spirit will move. If the Holy Spirit's not moving, it's a guarantee that those ingredients aren't in place. Praise the Lord. Because he always does his part, right? Consistently, constantly, always on beat. Who, who could possibly be off? Us. Amen. If there's not a move of the Holy Spirit, there may be an absence of true, pure hunger for the move of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit didn't quit working. Just like the law of gravity didn't quit working. 
Amen. All right, so Matt also, once again, I can see everybody's not happy, so this is Matt's sermon that I'm preaching today. Uh, Matt talked about our flesh mentality in November of, of uh, my rights, my freedom, my, my, my. How often do we hear that now? Everywhere. YouTube will have plenty of it if you want to go there. Fox News, CNN, all of it. Uh, even the news channels look like a game show now. You know, it's my, my, me, me, me. You know, obedience requires that the me, me, me mentality goes out the window. It just simply does. If we put ourselves first before what God's told us to do, it's not going to work. There's no way around it. We're going to talk about obedience is better than sacrifice today, and I'll explain through a, the King Saul how he messed that up, and then we'll, at the end, talk about us. Amen? So we also hear nowadays the self-discovery thing, you know, i got to find myself and who I am. Well, there, you know, there's some good in knowing who you are and where you are, but in relation to where you need to be in the Word is where that's healthy. Where it's not healthy is I need to find out who I am and who I need to be and go do that. Uh, that is not the healthy way. We hear the my truth method, you know, this is my truth. There's only one real truth. And anything away from that's going to be a problem. And it's going to be disobedience galore if it's all about me. Or that I prefer even a lesser uh, toned down version of this. Well, that's my style method. You know, that's how I do it. Uh, I'm, I am being worked on by the Lord in praise and worship. My style is not what he wants of me. And I, Nick, I didn't need your confirmation on that one. All right, so, <laughs> so, so from the peanut gallery on the right, it is true, but I don't like it. So my style of worship is not acceptable anymore for what the Lord has for me. It's got to go to a different place and a different level. All right, so picking on me. The flesh can't fix the flesh. Never has, never will. All right? So we can't find our way or work our way around it. You know, Matt talked about, Matt once again, talked about our rights. You hear a lot about that, right? And the United States is beautiful in that it was set up to protect our rights, to not be controlled and run by a government. Not that that's happening or trying to happen nowadays. But it was set up with documents and rules and things so that the people would run the land and have freedom and not the government and not be oppressed. But as believers, the day we accepted Jesus as Lord, we gave up our rights for right standing. Amen? Let that one sink in. I didn't make that up. I heard Kenneth Copeland say that. All right. The day that, the day that you, or, and Keith Moore talk, taught about it too, the day that I made Jesus my Lord, my rights went away to obtain right standing, which now means if I want to live in the, my right st the blessing of my right standing, I've got to adopt God's way over my way. Amen. And we say, well, you know, and you hear this among believers too, that, well, this is just how I want to do it. You know, this is how, what I think. That's fine. It's not going to work out well for you. And you ought to think, I made that choice. It's going to go well if I do it God's way Amen. and stop trying to fight it. You know, as citizens of the U.S., we have our unalienable rights. I got that word out okay. Unalienable rights. We have our Bill of Rights. We've got our Wright Brothers. We've got our Al Rights. He's somewhere around here. But anyway, <laughs> we've got all our good rights, but when it comes to the serious business of the Lord, His way has to come first. You know, selfishness or my way isn't new. Satan started all that. He thought he had a better way to do it and got the big old boot right out of heaven. Didn't work out well, right? 
And that's what we're talking about today. We have to be work on being obedient today because he started it. So I'm glad that we wore him out in intercessory prayer today. I'm glad we wore him out in praise and worship. We wore him out in the offering. We're going to wear him out in the word. When we get in our cars, we're going to wear him out going home. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, so that's not new. All this me, me, me stuff is not new. It's a little more pronounced now because we're getting near the end of time and there's methods and tools to promote it. Uh, it's not going to go away, necessarily. Uh, but it's nothing new. Obedience to God and authority, you know, has become a bad word. It's become an outdated word. You know, oh, it's old school stuff. It's become oppressive. And people look at it, oh, that's oppressive to use that word obedience been disregarded by many, even in the body of Christ. I mean, functions in the business world that I'm in, I can't really tell the difference between the Christians and the non-Christians at these events. Now, they may start out with prayer, and the good Lord did this, and the good Lord did that, and running through the speeches, but there's three beer bottles sitting in front of you, or there's discussions that aren't, or just aren't appropriate, there's gossip or something like that. You know, the lifestyle habits. And there's an obedience thing there, right? Toe in the line, representing the Lord. And it's good. You know, Matt did, and I'll be done referencing you in a minute, but uh, he put out a really neat definition of obedience, and it was to hearken submissively and to listen intelligently. And I added one more to that, and to produce an action off of those things. To hearken submissively, to hearken, to like grab a hold of yourself reposition yourself with some intensity and being deliberate about it. To submit, to, to, so to have that action and to submit myself. So to put me and my and my way over here and submit myself to somebody that knows better, is a higher authority, or just somebody else, all right? It could just mean that rather than myself. And then to listen intelligently. I love the word listen intelligent because we can just listen, but we can also do it without intelligence. So to hearken submissively and to listen intelligently, to, to tune in, right? Not to just hear, but to tune in so you understand what you hear. And there's three things that are my part. It's to hearken, it's to listen, and it's to produce. That's my part. And then God's part is to deliver what I need to, to hear. You know, an example, I love... We all have, if we have kids, we have stories, our favorite stories of our kids. And this is my favorite one. I'm going to pick on Gabe. He's sitting on the end. You know, to give you an idea of what we're talking about, what's not listening. So he was a little fellow. I may have told you this story before, but it was, I'll tell it forever. It's so funny. He had done something he wasn't supposed to do or was he, he just didn't do something, something like that. Anyway, enough where mom had had enough, sat him down and kind of rated, uh, rode him, uh, read him his Bill of Rights, and it was a good one. And by association, because I was sitting next to it, I figured I was going to get caught up in this too. So I listened intently and partially intelligently, and she was going through this. He was focused, and about halfway through, the glaze just came over his face. <laughs> there was distractions that you could see starting to kick in, and finally she just stopped and said, Gabe, what did I just say? And he went like this and said, listen. So that's not listening intelligently, all right, Gabe? <laughs> that's not a good idea. You know, but a good example is if you're flying a plane around the Lynchburg and you have your traffic control there, you know, listening the way we're talking about here obediently 
is just like flying an airplane around that tower. The tower frequency is 127.65. If you're on 127.64, you don't hear them and they don't hear you. You're going to get a good talking when you get on the ground if you don't crash or cause a, bit of a bad accident. That's how precise we're talking about here and listening to the Lord, getting on the same frequency. Amen. And I'm not going to maybe camp out here, but are we in a position that we can listen on the on a precise frequency long enough to get all the instructions? The phones that we have don't promote that. The busyness that we have don't promote that, getting on that frequency and staying there long enough. You know, sometimes to understand what a word means is to understand the opposite of that, which would be disobedience, just a couple words to define that. Resist, unresponsive, dull in hearing, tuned out, passively hearing, to disregard, and then in the production side, to be unproductive, to be lax or lazy towards. So that's kind of what obedience is not. You know, when we talk about passively hearing, it's the same example with, uh, you know, the traffic control here at, at the airport. You don't want to passively hear their instructions. You want to hear every one of them. They may say, one, two, three, four. And then you repeat back, one, two, three, four, and then do exactly one, two, three, four. Any miss in any of that, you're in big trouble. Think of God as ATC for us. Think about as a traffic controller. He says, boom, boom, boom. And we say, ah, I got the first two. I know you said turn right, but I'm going to make a left. doesn't work that way. You think about, are we attentive while we're in here? Are we attentive to what we listen to online? I heard this growing up, and actually not terribly long ago, but, you know, we've been in churches where, you know, you come out and you say hi to the pastor. Good, good sermon, Reverend. You know, it's been a joke, but I've actually heard it myself. Good sermon, Reverend. And you know they had no clue what was just preached. It just sounded good. It stayed within the time limits. Amen? Or we're on our phones nowadays in service. Or we have them available, right? We're looking up the scriptures. And the text message comes in. Like, I get a couple on my watch. I turned it off, by the way, so I could preach this and not be guilty. But we'll get some stuff, like, for the operation of the church. So I, don't pay, I try not to pay attention to anything else. But every now and then, got to have some things for the order of things. But I was, I, something popped up when, I think it was last service. Don't look at me like that. Popped up last service. <laughs> And I went like this, and she's like that, right? Because if I'm paying attention to that, my attention just went over there. I just switched radio frequencies, not even paying attention, and I just ran the plane into the side of the mountain. Amen? And you say, well, this is not that serious. It's about matters of life and death. It's about matters of blessing and cursing. It's about, about serving the Lord. That's more important than flying an airplane. Amen? But think about the intensity of that. There's one other word I want to define, and then we're going to get into the heart of our subject and let the captives free at some point. So, sacrifice. Now, in the good sense, a sacrifice is an act of offering something precious or valuable, giving something up that's ours. Or in the negative sense, is what I'm going to use today as the definition, a substitution for something else that should have been, right? So, I'm supposed to do this, but I find a way around that. I find a substitution for what I know to do. That's the sense I'm going to use sacrifice today, not the, not the sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise and worship. That's really good sacrifice. That's us giving something up to God, but not bypassing something he's told us to do. Does that make any sense? All right. I, I really I had to take some extra time to make sure I understood it, but 
Hopefully it does to you. I'm going to put this over here. Say, what are you preaching? You don't have the word in front of you. Well, I typed it all out, so uh, just do better this way. Got to find the way that works and do it that way. Praise the Lord. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel 15, or 1 Samuel chapter 15. It's like 30-something verses. I'm going to go through the whole chapter, but I'm not going to read everything or stop everywhere. So don't look at this as being a two-hour session. I'm going to highlight a few things uh, that are important. And the topic really is about obedience is better than sacrifice. All right? And I want to explain through this what that really looks like. And then when you say Saul, by the end, you say Saul is a terrible guy. How could anybody do that? We're going to finish with how do we do this the same way Saul did it. What are some checks and balances we can walk away with and work on, right? Uh, we don't have to be perfect. We're under the new covenant. Jesus was our sacrifice for our disobedience. All we need to do is truly and heartfeltly repent and get back on course. That's a whole different scenario than under the old covenant. So this is not about our works and us being perfect. But it is about lining up, aligning with the Lord, okay? So Saul defeats the Amalekites. Finally figured out how to say that right. I took fresh English three times, and you're only supposed to take it twice. So, and she can verify that's the truth. So verse 1, one day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen to the message of the Lord. Kind of thought it was funny. You know, Saul was peop the people's choice. It's not really how God wanted to do it. But they really wanted a king, so God said, all right, we'll give you a king. I thought it was kind of funny. Maybe, maybe Samuel didn't have an attitude here, but he started out with, I, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you. I, I bet back of his mind, he's like, I know this isn't right, but, or it isn't what I want, but I'm going to let you know he appointed you, not me, because it wouldn't have been my choice. Verse 2, this is what the Lord of heaven's army has declared. I've decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek. Now go and, so verse 3, now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, and it describes, I mean, in detail, so God was specific. It's kind of gruesome, but there's a reason why God's specific, right? He's very specific about our lives, too, not just general, amen? So we need to find out what those specifics are. Now go and completely destroy the nation, the Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. So the command was completely. All right, one word, completely. So Saul mobilized. He went down to the valley of the Amalekites, verse 5, verse 6. They're the Kenites. They were kin to the, the otherites uh, were there, but they were like friendly fire or something, or they had whatever. So Saul was at least kind enough to say, get out of the way or you're going to go down with them. So they didn't want to get in the middle of that, nor did they want to be called to duty, so they packed bags and headed out of town real fast. Then after they left, Saul went and wiped out the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. Brother Kevin's going to correct me on how I say all this stuff. So I'll stand correct. Am I fine okay? All right. I was going to make a political joke, not doing it now. But uh, <laughs> verse 8, he captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed every, everyone else. So he completely destroyed everyone else. He captured Agag, but didn't kill him. So verse 9, Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. So they kept the best, 
and the best and all that appealed to them. You're starting to see a theme of me, my, my way. They spared Agag. They exercised man's judgment over God's instructions. They had some logical th key things to hold back, right? I mean, it's the best of everything. And then we get spiritual about it and say, well, good, now I have the best I can offer God some of the best stuff. This sounds like a little bit of a definition of what, what we're disobedience. Amen. The very next verse, verse 10, then the Lord said to Samuel, now I'm sure Samuel did not want to hear that. All right. Verse 11, I am sorry I ever made King Saul. I mean, just in one verse, one action. I mean, you would hate to hear that, right? I would not want to come home and Dina say, I am sorry I ever married you. That would be hard to hear, right? Don't say that. Just smile. All right. So I'm sorry I ever made Saul, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my commands. The indictment was issued out. We're in the season of indictments. This was an indictment. Amen. The indictment was he refused to obey. And Samuel was so deeply moved because he had a heart for the Lord and the things of the Lord and his way of doing things. When he heard that this, he cried out all night. It was a long night for Samuel. Not only because he knew what was going to happen to everybody, and he knew what a departing from God would do, and he knew what the blessing of the Lord could be with obedience to God. So he knew all that. And he represented God. He thought like him. He acted like him. He knew his ways. So he was grieved over that. I'm sure he's also grieved over he knew he, next morning he was going to be the messenger. Right? He's like, yep, I'm going, and it's going to be an ugly day. And it could be his last day if Saul didn't, you know handle it correctly. So verse 12, early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, hey, Saul went to the town of Carmel, set up a monument for himself. And then he went on to Gilgal, probably to set up another monument for himself. You know, this is just a little bit mind-boggling, right? I mean, who sets up a monument for themselves, right? It's one thing to kind of get off the exact course God you had you on, and you create something new that looks good, sounds good, sounds godly. That's wrong, but you have a good intent at least. But to just go out the next day and set up a monument for yourself, I mean, to build a statue of Matt in his front yard and Matt build it just because he had a good day, it doesn't make any sense. It's just, look what I have done. You know, disobedience will make us dumb. It'll make us oblivious. It'll cause us to miss the big picture. It'll desensitize us. Right? It's to the point we can't even hear common sense from the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about precision from the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about basic blocking and tackling common sense from the Holy Spirit. Disobedience itself will make us dumb as bricks. We can study all we want, pray all we want, confess all we want, pray in the Holy Ghost all we want. If we're disobedient, we're going to get dumb and desensitized. End of discussion. Amen. Matt, that's Matt's message, all right? So go after him. Anyway. And then disobedience, you know, it'll cause us to bypass the absolute truth and to start creating alternative solutions to getting from here to there, which will never fly with the Lord. We teach the kids in the kids' class. It's kind of a funny rule, but it's a serious rule. What's the number one rule? Stop, don't talk while the teacher's talking. Well, why is that, right? We want to be friends with them, right? Well, more than being friends with them, we want them to know how to hear the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit talks, right? We don't want to glaze over. We don't want to just, okay, good, or complete 
ignoring, which happens a lot nowadays. That's the number one rule. Ask any teen. We want to teach them the obedience of the voice of the Holy Spirit. So did Saul know what he was doing? Maybe he was too dumb to realize at that point or too blinded over. Or maybe he, he did know. Guess what? It didn't matter. Disobedience is disobedience. So verse 13, when Samuel finally found them, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the, Lord, may the Lord bless you, brother. Hey, Reverend Samuel. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> On this glorious, fine gas station chicken day. We're so happy to see you. Look, I've carried out the Lord's command. Now, they parted all night the night before. Saul's building a statue of himself. They didn't have mirrors back then, did they? How did he know what he looked like? But anyway, they gossiped. Maybe they did. They gossiped all night. They celebrated themselves. They didn't think one lick about the Lord on Saturday night before church. And when Samuel came out, verse 14, you know, Saul was like, hey, look what I've done. We did it. We accomplished what the Lord wanted. Samuel didn't say, you sure did. That's so good. He didn't even say it's good to see you. He said, then what is all the bleeding, bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle? Samuel demanded. Samuel probably did not have a smile on his face. So he, knew what was, he knew what was shaken down. He knew he was the messenger that would probably get shot here. He was not happy. And he knew Saul was a fool at that point and could have done better. So Samuel had already read Saul's mail. He'd heard from the Lord. You know, example of my, my dad could read my mail too. You know, he had a he had a very good dad, but you, know, you, you were home when you needed to be home on time. And, you know, I, 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 he kind of looked like Saul that, or Samuel that day. I came in five minutes late one time, and I walk in, and he has a chair he sits in and sleeps in most of the time. One light on, and you can see the silhouette of my dad. And I thought, I was thinking like Saul. I thought, I'm only five minutes late, so what's my story? And how do I water down being five minutes late? He'll be all right with it. So I kind of worked my way around it, you know, the dog ate my homework type of stuff. And uh, I came around, and I was thinking, maybe he's asleep, you know. And in the morning, he won't know, and we'll be all good. And I walked around, and the silhouette came, up, came to life. <laughs> he didn't say a word. He didn't have to. His hand went out like that, and my hand dropped my keys in his, and it was never spoken of after that. I just missed it. I missed the mark. There was no getting around it. I was trying to find a way around it. But Dad wasn't happy. He knew that I had missed that. Amen. And I got my keys back a few days later. <laughs> a lot less important than the Saul story. So verse 15. It's true that the army spared the best. This is Saul's excuse. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle. Yeah, yeah, we kept the best. We were thinking logically. But they are, but hey, we're going to sacrifice them to the Lord. But we got rid of everything else, all the other junk we got rid of. No big deal. You know, we were smart. We actually kept the good stuff to offer and not the bad stuff. You know, the Lord, you know, need to be a little more specific next time, but, you know, we're good. So we're going to give the Lord something, a piece of our spoils, our time. We're going to give a ceremony. We're going to go through all the religious motions. They knew better than God. Saul was mo more interested in what the people thought of him than what God thought about him in that exact command. In verse 16, Samuel, mad at this point, I guess, the Samuel said to Saul with exclamation points, stop, listen to what the Lord told me last night. And then Saul, you know, looking for confirmation, because he was actually kind of a wimpy guy. He always wanted the people's, he's a big, tall, strong guy, but he's wimpy inside. He wanted everybody to like him and make him feel good. 
And so he was really looking, oh, yes, tell me what he said. May confirm what we did. But he was shaking in his pointy-toed boots. He knew that he had missed a mark somewhere. And by the look on Samuel's face, he knew that what he was about to hear was not going to be good. And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself on the inside, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king of Israel. Saul wasn't a confident guy, all right? He was a people's choice. He was a showman interested in being popular, and his actions lined up with that. Basically, though, what Samuel delivered him, I don't care, doesn't matter. You're the leader. You're the responsible party for this disobedience. That's not a good thing to hear. Verse 18, and the Lord sent you on a mission. So Samuel's running him down now. Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead, completely and all. Not a lot of complicated definition there. 19, why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush to the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? A verdict of disobedience had been delivered, despite Saul's sacrifice to make it look better. You know, God and Samuel look right past that sacrifice to the instructions of the Lord. Verse 20, but I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Still, excuses as clueless as ever. Excuses are a good sign of disobedience. So if you find yourself coming up with excuses, you might want to look a little bit deeper and help yourself out. You know, Saul was either lying or he wasn't paying attention. Once again, it didn't matter. You know, disobedience, it can be discovered in excuses, spiritual-sounding justifications, substitutions, and sacrifices. You know, disobedience can end our destiny early. You know, as a... Uh, it sounds tough, right? And we're under the new covenant, so we can repent and go back to the Lord. It's not perfection that we're after. It's after the right heart and pursuing the Lord. It's when we realize that we did something wrong or even deliberately did it wrong, running back to the Lord and say, I did that. Forgive me. Guess what? It's a clean slate at that point. But if we're trying to find our way, angle around it, not get to that point, there's probably a different outcome on its way. And it's not God's desire. It's not how he plans to do things. Amen. Is this going okay for you? I think it'll get happier here in just a minute as we come, come near the end. Uh, so De- yeah, Derek did a beautiful job, you know, Wednesday night. Uh, just, you know, his, I love his personality. He's a real deep, good teacher, anointed. I love his personality. He can stick you hard and you don't even know it. And you send him a thank you note when it's all done, you're like, I bled half out. But thank you, Derek. That was really nice. Yeah, so he went out. He went pretty good, and you know, I I kind of had a note or two on, on my subject that he basically did a better job at. So what he said was he went to Romans eight twenty six through twenty eight, and verse twenty eight especially. You know, all things work together for good, and we we camp on, and this is kind of where you can see us all. All things work together for the good. I was anointed and appointed by the Lord. Well, that verse is only true. That part of that verse is only true if the latter part is in action. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You know, we get in this mindset of fate, uh, divine providence, uh, predestination, that's the subject or a word he talked about, that everything is either going to be what it's going to be, you know, God already knows what I'm going to do, you know, 20 years from now, so it doesn't matter what I do today. No, that's not what's predetermined and predestined. Now, he does know these things, 
But it's our choices to get there. What is predestined is simply this. If I give, I shall receive. Now, that's been predestined. If, I'm, if I confess Jesus as my Lord, then I will be saved. That's predetermined. That's a guarantee. Going to heaven's not a guarantee. If it were, why are we here today? You know, getting healed. If we apply the law of faith and receive the work Jesus did by the stripes of Jesus, we shall be healed. If we talk about being sick and don't do any of that, then healing's not a guarantee. But it's an available gift for free. And so we have work to do in that. And that's what Derek was laying out. And so in how that relates to the subject of obedience, if we obey, then our outcome has a, determin a good determination. If we don't obey, it does have a determination, but it's not really what we say we're believing for. So kind of laying all this out to really ponder the question of why this stuff isn't working sometimes. So uh, I'll move on here and uh, we'll kind of wrap up. Uh, first Sam, so we get into verse 22. Samuel replied, has the, Lord, has the Lord as much pleasure in your burnt offerings and sacrifices as in your obedience? Obedience is far better than sacrifice. He is much more interested in your listening to him than in your offering the fat of rams to him or finding alternative ways to check the box. Other godly, God-sounding solutions that we come up with. And the Hebrew, prophet, Hebrew prophets all throughout the Old Testament, and then it goes even into the New Testament, speak often about obedience being better than sacrifice. You know, sacrifice is only needed because of disobedience. So if we obey, we don't need sacrifice in that sense. Jesus has already done that. We have to repent, get back, and do what he says. So my obedience to what he says to do is fundamental for the spiritual laws pastor's talking about to work appropriately or effectively in my life. They're going to work one way or the other, but the application of God's way of doing it will have them work in my favor as opposed to not in my favor. That's not God's decision. The outcome is not God's decision. He already predetermined what those would be if we operate these laws appropriately. Does that make you feel better or worse to hear that? It is the truth. And I know it's in a lot of settings, even church, in a lot of church settings, that would, that would freeze, the, that'd freeze the audience up. I used to choke up over that, right? It's not in God's hands? No, it's not. It's in our hands to respond to the Word of God. And I find great comfort in that because I know it's not a guessing game. No, I know it's not God woke up today, got out his whack-a-mole set, and he's going to figure out what he's going to do. I know that if I operate the word of God, whatever's promised in there is a guarantee to me. I also know if I don't, I know what's going to happen. That's pretty cool to know the, the rules of the game, right? And that they're completely designed to work in our favor. Amen. And even when we mess up, there's buffers. That's where grace kicks in. Grace is not there to give us a get-out-of-jail-free card you know, go past the monopoly line and collect 200. It's not there to just let us do whatever we wanted to do. Grace is there to give us buffer to succeed in our imperfection. It's not to promote and say imperfection's okay. It's just, you know, the bumper ball at the bowling alley. Grace is kind of like that, you know. If we respond well, we stay within the bumpers. Amen. If you bowl like Brother Mike, you go over the bumpers sometime. But anyway. The uh, cornhole championship's coming up, so the trash talking's starting to sling. <laughs> anyway, I've got the microphone, so I'm doing the trash talking. So <laughs> sacrifices or substitutions can never undo disobedience. We're going to finish up here in just a second. 
Disobedience disqualified Saul. And disobedience can dis disqualify us from the promises of God working in our lives just as much as obedience will qualify us. Amen? None of that's predetermined. Okay. Well, let's wrap up here with a little bit of us. This will be the end here. Amen? So how do we make sacrifices to try to substitute for obedience? And these are just things to maybe think about. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm more, I'll pick on myself. You know, a couple categories. Praying. You know, when we know what, it's going to sound anti-Bible anti or anti-religious in a way, but sometimes we know what to do and we're going to pray about it. Why don't you go do it? Why don't I go do it? I know what to do. I'm going to keep praying about it. You know, the Lord told me to start walking and exercising. I really gotten in a bad spot where I had, you know, starting to have trouble. You're not as mobile. Go walk, go exercise. And I wasn't doing it completely, but I was praying about it. Prayer's going to do you any good. <laughs> you know, go walk and pray while you walk in the Holy Spirit. But don't pray in the Spirit to avoid going walking. It's not, seriously, it's not going to work. You know, it sounds all religious and sanctified, but it's disobedience. It's not going to work. It's a sacrifice. It's a substitution. Or even here at church, I might get in your grill on this, but serving on the ministry team, we're waiting for what the Lord wants us to do. We'll find somewhere to be productive. I learned that early on, at least, and uh, somebody taught me. But you get busy with something, go ask somebody what needs to be done, get busy with it. You don't need to pray too much about it. The Lord will help you find your way if you just pick up the leaf blower. Just something to think about. You know, praying can't be a substitute for disobedience. Giving. You know, giving to avoid doing, so, giving to avoid doing something won't work. So, for example, I travel a lot. Have for many years, traveling a ton right now. You know, there are things that need to be done, but not home very much. You know, when the dog barks at you and not the UPS driver, you're gone too much. <laughs> You know, and I want to be home, and I want to see the family, and I don't want to do things sometimes. I'm just giving you an example of me, but pick it up for you too, that it's easier for me to give to a project than to put my hands to it. But the Lord told me to put my hands to it. So no matter how tired I am, how I feel, and he won't wear you out, but i got to put my hands to this particular thing. So there's an example. Or it gives you a specific giving directive, like... Uh, you know, I, I'm going to give a, a dollar, and uh, I'm going to use low numbers to make you feel better. Dollar. But I'm sitting there, you know, and I know I need to give two dollars. Right? But the Lord knows my heart. Yeah, he does. He does know my heart. Amen. You know, in that, he'll likely tell you it's never really about the amount. It's about our heart and our obedience. And in that, you know, we look in the giving where we look for the dump truck to pull up. As our, as our immediate corresponding action to the seed we sown, when most of all the time that seed we release for financial harvest is followed by, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, is followed by the windows of heaven. Revelation and wisdom come out. He'll tell us the next thing to do. And then we have to be obedient to that. Then the next thing, and that's why the, from the giving of faith to the harvest of manifestation struggles to happen sometimes because it's, there's things in between, uh, steps of obedience in between we need to follow to get to that final manifestation. I'll end with this one. I was going to do some lifestyle ones about me so you could feel better about it. Um, but I'm just going to pass on that today. I don't want you to pick on me. 
So it, we'll, we'll end with this. With the, uh, even with the giving directive, you know, also on the other side, is example of stop. Stop giving. You know, I'm kind of an emotional giver. I like to give the good things. Uh, that's where I failed early on. And, you know, Dina and I partnered together and gotten real good at our giving and listening to the Lord. But we weren't so good at first because I didn't listen. Um, but, you know, every seed put in the wrong spot is a seed not put in the right spot. That's right. That's right. That's not good, is it? So we can't scream or we can't pray, serve, confess, scream our way out of disobedience. We good, we good with that today? Yeah. Amen. Amen. So let, let's don't let our way get in the way of God's way. Let's be quick to obey, and the promises of God will be true and real in our lives. All right. It's good. Everybody good? I feel better if you don't. That's your problem, but I feel a whole lot better. Amen. Well, let's do this. Because you can't get saved and go to heaven unless you believe in your heart, right? And confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. You can't go to heaven if you don't do that. And if you're on, on watching live stream or later on, uh, you're not going to think your way into heaven. You're not going to feel your way into heaven. Your brother or sister or friend's not going to get you into heaven confessing the Lord Jesus will get you into heaven. That's the only way. It's simple. And so we want to make sure that there's always that opportunity to do that. It's a really bad decision not to do that. I, was a, I did evangelism in college for Campus Crusade for Christ. We went around, knocked on doors, and said, do you, you want to hear about the Lord? You know, it's kind of intimidating, especially after hundreds and hundreds of that. But it also, by the end, I'm not shy to say it's a really dumb decision not to accept Jesus as Lord. It's a really bad idea. Amen? So, with that, if you're in here, and just put, bow your heads, close your eyes, believe, believe with me, or you're online, if you don't know Jesus as Lord, you can, you should. Once again, it's a really bad idea to leave this time and not have made that choice. Never a good time not to make that choice. And so we offer this opportunity for you to come up here, and I just say, just come up to the front. If you're here or if you're online, yell at the TV or the laptop. Jesus wants you in eternity for heaven, but he also wants your life to be blessed and full and rich while you're here. So if you want to be saved and you're not, now's your opportunity. Praise the Lord. It's always good to...